once came another man. Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young uh, superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely... Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. And I felt be Okay, so uh, welcome back to the Chess Underground. We are here in October 2021. I am thrilled to be joined by Epiphany Peters, who I will let talk about herself. Hi, I'm Epiphany Peters. I'm a, a chess player, streamer, and coach from Metro Detroit. Uh, I've been playing chess most of my life. And uh, yeah, I stream on Twitch as, as Mari Chess. So, you know, I'm Chess is so much of what I do, it's, it, and right now I'm working towards the NM title. That's really like a, a big focus of my life right now is trying to make that push for the title. Pushing like for a title or a rating can be such a huge, a huge challenge. It's almost like all-consuming. Is that the experience it, for you? Absolutely, yeah, and it's you know it's exhilarating like i i'm always thinking about how happy i'm going to be when i actually <laughs> reach it but also it gets really frustrating and one of the questions i get most on my stream is hey do you have a title <laughs> yeah like, right like do you have a fide or or like a us chess title yeah mm -hmm. and you're like not yet and the yet is the important part exactly <laughs> and you know people people i guess expect that i have a title by now <laughs> so you know it's it's i'm i'm working on it well I, last i saw your bullet and blitz ratings are like insanely high right what, what are you up to on uh, on leech us these days my bullet's 2600 yeah uh, i've been sitting on it though. <laughs> um my blitz is like around 2400 it's fallen a bit from my opinion. yeah so like in my world we call those like definitely nm numbers like you should you should you can definitely like nms there are nms who are much lower rated than that in both in both categories i would say so that's awesome um what are some things I, I i have a fun question but i want to save it let's start let's start with this one what are some things like that you're doing if you if you don't mind divulging some of your secrets what are some things you're doing to like work on your game and try to move towards that title so I work a lot on the woodpecker method. It's uh, it's something that's really helped me this year. Found in like February, and like shortly after I started doing tactics regularly, like I gained a lot of elo. Mm -hmm. um, I also I've been trying to redo my opening theory. I had a couple of tough tournaments over the summer where I fell into some. I should say all theoretical traps, basically. I just didn't know my openings as well as probably, you know, aspiring masters should. And so I've had to go and, and redo some of my openings. Um, you know, I try to play slower chess games and go over them when I can, just like I recommend my students do. Sure. And, yeah, I, uh, I study with my friends. I, you know, work on some books. I haven't been actually reading as many books lately, but... I would do some of the, the Jakob Ogard's uh, Grandmaster Preparation series too. Oh, nice! So you're—I think you're a second guest who's, who's mentioned that one by name. I'm curious for for our listeners out there who aren't too familiar with it. What's the Woodpecker Method? So it's a a book slash chessable course with about a thousand curated tactics, and you do them in cycles. So the idea is that eventually these patterns will become just so ingrained. Like, you'll basically have the puzzles memorized. At least that's my understanding. 
So instead of having to calculate them anew, you basically memorize the puzzles, but then the positions, the, the type of tactic you see, it just becomes so natural. And I definitely would say it helped my tactics a lot because um, after I started doing this, I won a couple of nice games against, you know, players of similar, even higher rating based on tactics. Like I played a lot of quick turns. I played in some game 30, game 45 events where tactics were crucial. And yeah, you have to be able to spot them in the, in the shorter time. Yeah, absolutely. I remember one game from earlier this year, I was probably losing to a master, but then I, I found one tactical resource, a, a tricky counter to his tactic and I won because of that and I figure okay I gotta keep working on my tactics so I can do this more <laughs> tactics 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 I think that's I think that's great advice um I remember a long time ago in a land far far away um <laughs> no, which is which was Iowa uh I read an article about sort of how we learn chess and there was this idea and I'm probably going to butcher it um, something along the lines of cluster theory where like our brain clusters bits of knowledge together. Is that sort of like the concept behind the woodpecker? Like you're just getting it all in a cluster and being able to access it? Hmm. I, I can't say I'm familiar with the cluster method or I would, yeah, I wouldn't be able to say. It's more just like thematic recognition, pattern recognition, that sort of thing. Yeah. And the idea is of course, when you do a, a normal set of tactics, like on Lee chess, you do new puzzles every time. Right. But the idea with the woodpecker method is that you keep coming back to the same tactics. And so I have, you know, if I look at a position from the easy section, I remember it. Oh, you know, I, I'm okay. not really solving yeah. it anew anymore. I remember the puzzle. But by remembering that specific move in that position, it becomes just a part of my memory. I can, I can pull it out when I want to. And then I when hope, sort of I like hope that's an, how it works. <laughs> right, yeah, you hope when the moment comes in the board, can I pull it at the right time? I right? mean, that's the ultimate test, right? Is, is it working over the board? Yeah, it sounds like it has been though. I am. I, I shot up like fifty points in a month and a half earlier this year, and I thought, okay, I'm going to get it for sure. You know, I'm on a roll. Everything's going perfectly. Mm -hmm. And then I had a rough summer, a couple of not so great tournaments, and it was. Honestly, pretty discouraging. <laughs> so how um, how how do you go about choosing the tournaments you're going to play in, and how selective are you in terms of like picking the right event? I had I don't know if you're familiar with um, James Canty, National Master James Canty from Detroit. Oh yeah, I know him. Yeah. Awesome. So James James was on the show a few months ago, and one of the things he said is he's like extremely selective about his tournaments. You know, he'll like look ahead and try to determine like what you know what type of players are going to be there, what range can I expect, and just he said he's very, very selective about what he plays. Is that the same for you, or is it more schedule-based? How, how, how do you approach like picking what you want to play on? Hmm. See, I would say I've actually been pretty selective this year. I've definitely focused on tournaments with a short time control, which is my strength. I tend to do mm -hmm. better in the Game 30, Game 45 events because, yeah, I consider myself a more tactical than positional player. I I go for the quick blows a lot, and those, those work better in Game 30. So, yeah, I, I tend to just gravitate towards the faster time control events, but I almost wonder if maybe I shouldn't be so selective. Maybe it's worth more if I just play in a wider variety of tournaments and get the experience because I tend to get really nervous. And every time I play in a tournament, I ask myself, you know, is it really worth it? What if I lose the rating? And I should probably just get the experience because I don't want to stop at NM either. I mean, sure, it'd be nice, but then I eventually want to pursue the FM title and like, who knows, you know, what's yeah, beyond that. High. But I definitely don't want to just stop at 2200. So I probably could, you know, use a little push to play in more events instead of being worried about my rating in the short term. I remember when I was playing a lot, I was, uh, I just sort of was the exact opposite. <laughs> I was completely non-selective at all. I was like, oh, yeah, this looks like fun. Let's go play in it. And, you know, now looking back on that, I kind of, regret that. I kind of wish like I'd been a little more, uh, you know, selective and careful in, in picking my tournaments. I think, I think oh, it helps, you know, I do, I do think there's something I to that. I feel the opposite about my youth. Like I wish <laughs> I played 
more <laughs> tournaments as a kid because you know kids can definitely use the experience and i think there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of tournaments that would have been good opportunities that i didn't play on because i was sitting on some rating or just yeah i didn't feel ready and i never feel completely ready i don't think anyone ever feels 100 percent ready but i probably could just yeah use more practice that's interesting, the idea of, like, feeling ready, right? And I think you're right. I don't think anybody ever feels 100% ready. I'm curious, though, I used to have kind of, like, my own little routine that I would do before I went and played in a tournament. Do you have, like, a pre-event routine or something that kind of, like, gets you in the mode? I mean, I, of course, try to go to bed early, get a full night's sleep. That's super important to me. Mm-hmm. And I will... if. Even if I have time the previous day, I will go through my openings. Just, um, you know, a, a hasty look at all of my main lines so they're fresh in my brain. And then either the night before or, you know, if it's a if it's a drive or something, I will do, you know, woodpecker method. Like, I'll go through the easy section of the woodpecker method to get myself warmed up. You know, That's unless interesting. I'm the one That's... driving. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't tactic and drive. <laughs> Don't solve and drive. We need like a chess player campaign. That's interesting. That's uh, that's pretty much what I would do too. I think like um, easy, easy puzzles um, that are that are like quick to recognize and quick to solve. So you're not like overtaxing yourself, but you're still kind of getting. It's almost like doing a jumping jack, right? It's like you're warming up your brain, you're warming up the muscles, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Okay, so I got a fun question. What's the plan? Uh, you mentioned earlier you were <laughs> you were really excited to break 2200. You were looking towards it. What's the party going to be like when you get your NM title? I mean, I'm definitely going to have a celebration with, <laughs> you know, my closest friends and probably a stream too. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's the plan. <laughs> the I just hit an M celebration stream. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You know, it's it's a it's a really exciting thing, and I and I uh, I'm I'm curious though. You know, I sort of had the benefit, and 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 pretty much everybody did before 2020 of of a lot more tournaments to pick from, right? I mean, there wasn't the pandemic, there wasn't lockdown, there wasn't this, there wasn't that, and restrictions. What has it been like playing in sort of this post-pandemic landscape? You know, everybody's in a mask. There's different restrictions. Is it? Does it distract? Does it impact your chess in some ways? Or is it just, hey, you know what? Once I'm in the game, everything's normal. Everything's back to the back to. The I game. haven't really felt anything that different. Um, I mean, playing in a mask is kind of annoying, but it's not too big of a deal. And once, mm-hmm. yeah, once I'm at the board, I get just focused on the game and I don't really think about the, the conditions. Um, I haven't had a real issue finding tournaments to play in mm-hmm. around here. You know, there's been there's been a steady stream of events at my preferred time control, so I can't say I'm too lacking for tournaments. That's awesome. When did when did the over the board activities start to pick back up? And and remind me, you're East Coast, right? Well, I am in Metro Detroit, but I've actually moved a couple oh, times okay. in the past year. So I uh, I started the year living in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my parents and then moved up to uh, South Bend, Indiana to move in with my fiance. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, he's also a chess player. He's an NM, but better than I am. So <laughs> Even better, you have a built-in okay. training partner. That's perfect. Oh, yeah. And uh, we just moved again for his work. So now we're in yeah metropolitan Detroit, which coincidentally is where I grew up. So... Wow, all the way back home. That's that's kind of nice, right? Uh, yeah. So, um, when did the ch- the over the board chess activity? Did it ever shut down? Did it pick back up at some point? How did it? How did things get moving when you when you wanted? Because you have to play over the board to to get the title, right? Yeah. Well, you know, by the time like I moved up to to South Bend, and uh, there are already well, there are some tournaments. Like we would usually. I have to travel a couple hours to either Detroit or Indianapolis to play. Um, that's where all the tournaments I played in were for like the first half of the year. So, but I, you know, I, that's less a pandemic thing and more that there just wasn't a lot of chess in South Bend. Right, right. 
Yeah, small town Midwest is, um, as someone who has lived in small town Midwest for a very long time, it's sort of a wasteland for, for chess events, right? You just have to travel to the largest big city to find something to plan. Yeah. And so we would, you know, a couple hours by car every time. <laughs> Do you guys ever, uh, like, play a blindfold game while you're on the way? Mm, not. I haven't played all that much blindfold, no. <laughs> I'm terrible at blindfold, honestly. I kind of feel like I am too because I, I, I would always um, travel to events with my friend uh, Gopal and we would play blindfold and I would just get crushed by like move 23 I'm like hanging a piece. Oh man, I would make it to move 23. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think it's like a fun, it's kind of a fun way to like pass the time, you know, when you have another chess player in the car. But on the other hand, um, yeah, it's painful when you start to forget where your pieces are. <laughs> <laughs> so Epiphany, uh, you know, I really want to talk about your streaming a lot. Uh, as you know, um, we're in season three of the Chess Underground. Our, our theme is streaming, and um, it—I kind of—I kind of want to call you. Is it fair if I call you like a prolific streamer? I feel like every time I log into Lee Chess, I'm seeing one of your streams. Um, do you stream a lot these days, or how's it been going? Yeah, these days. Um, well, since since we moved, and I've had more physical room and like yeah better setup i've been streaming well actually this past week i haven't streamed that much but in general i've been streaming most days for at least a little bit yeah i, I try to stream a lot you know keep the community active and it's just it's fun i love streaming what how did you get into it you mentioned you have kind of an interesting how you got started story I'd, lo I'd love to hear like what drew you to streaming and how you got started well my fiance was a streamer um okay i mean was and is and you know i'd hang out in his streams it was a, a nice community and i thought hey i want to do this too and you know i wasn't thinking about you know where i really wanted to take my streaming it was just uh, a fun thing so i got started in the basement just on my my macbook mm -hmm. with no no webcam no microphone and you know no layout everything was like horribly laggy because i was on a mac <laughs> but i just thought hey why don't i i put myself out there and just um i started streaming myself actually um grinding bullet rating like, okay. okay road to 2500 and i would play bullet and talk about my games and i was very fortunate to have friends who would come by the stream and you know give me that early boost like i had a, a community from the start of people to talk to and watch so that helped tremendously mm -hmm. but you know i had no idea where this was all going and then you know, people would stop by. I would always get really excited when somebody new would come in and they would find me, somebody I didn't already know. I'd be like, wow, you know, people are actually finding my stream. <laughs> this, this could be a thing. And I was crazy at the beginning. I did a couple of 24-hour streams just for the heck of it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Were you, like, playing one of, one of like, the, the Leeches Marathon events or no, no just your own thing? No, I was just like, I want to do a 24-hour stream. So I would stream for 24 hours straight. And How do you find the, I mean, like no breaks, like no nap breaks. I, I'm a no. big man. <laughs> no. How do you find the stamina to do that? Coffee. How did you survive? Co coffee. Coffee. Okay. The great, the miracle of caffeine. Yep. There's, I guess there's a reason why Fide like tried to outlaw caffeine at uh, international events a, a while ago. It's a, it's a magic drug. Excuse me, what? No, this is this actually happened, and the Are players you like re yes, I'm dead serious. The players like revolted. They were like, I'm "No, I'm quitting chess. <laughs> I want to quit chess if that happens." I think it. I think it lasted for all of like uh, like two or three days, um, and I believe it was at an Olympiad where they tried to enforce it, and the players were just like, "You have to be kidding me!" But yeah, if you Google it, Fide actually tried to outlaw caffeine as like a drug that, that that's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> absurd i know right i mean could you imagine showing up and they're like um i'm sorry we're gonna have to test you for caffeine no there's i can't remember the last time i played in a tournament without drinking coffee it's like uh it's like uh it's just like a staple right it's like you, you wake up you have your morning coffee and you go play you go play some chess absolutely 
I'm the same way. If I get asked a question before I've had my coffee in the morning, I'm not going to give you a good answer. And I'm just like, I'll probably not even know what you're asking me. <laughs> yeah, they, they actually did try to outlaw it. But 24 hours is like, man, that's that's intense. Did you just crash super hard at the end or like what happened? Well, sometimes if I stay awake long enough that I'm just awake. Yeah. And I'm just running on pure adrenaline. I can't sleep. <laughs> Did you have like a co-streamer or anybody who could like take over for a little bit if you needed to just like... Not during those 24-hour streams, no. Oh my gosh. I, that's, I mean, mad, first of all, mad props. Like that's super impressive. Um, I've tried to play like some of the lead chess marathons and I'll make it like maybe like three or four hours. I'm <laughs> like, I can't stay, I can't do this anymore. Um, but no, that seriously, that's really super impressive. I'm, I can't oh, believe, you. I can't believe you did that. That's like, that's like, uh, like, I feel like you're like the, the chess iron man or I should say iron woman. Like, how did you pull that off? I don't know. <laughs> Just and awful. I tried to do, I tried to do one recently or even 12 hours. It was hard. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine dude, 24. That's crazy. When I, um, uh, when I was in college, I, I think we talked a little bit before the show, I was a literature uh, background, and I used to um, work as sort of a side gig for a film company, and they did a 48-hour film festival. And the idea is you have to make the entire movie in 48 hours, right? So you show up, and you're given a genre, you're given a prop, and you're given a line of dialogue, and then you have to, like, write, create, film, edit, chop, everything, the whole movie in, on, on only 48 hours. No way. Yeah. Just That's crazy. <laughs> it was. <clears throat> so like everybody has like multiple roles, right? I was the writer. So I had to get the script out like immediately. Like I had like 30 minutes to get the script out, you know, cause you need wow. all the rest of the time to start producing and finding locations and all that. That's stuff. crazy. I can't imagine the, the pressure. And I remember like basically that weekend, you know, you, you weren't going to stay up the whole 48 hours cause that's insane. But like, you know, you, you would get like maybe like a couple two to three hour like naps the whole weekend. And then the whole rest of the time you were doing everything. But I can't imagine like going 24 hours straight with like no, no rest. That's, I mean, that is intense. That is intense. Colorado, <laughs> would you ever do that in like an over the board tournament? Would you play a 24 hour over the board tournament? Yeah, why not? Colorado used to have some of those. I think they still might. I don't know. Really? Yeah. It was like a New Year's Eve uh, 24 hour marathon tournament and i think it was blitz chess that I sounds amazing yeah you would play in one of those yeah um, would you last the whole 24 hours i mean maybe i think a lot of the players would play in it and then they'd like take like you know like seven buys in a row you know just to go like rest or whatever <laughs> and then come back and play some more that sounds know. amazing like that I sounds like an absolute blast especially if you're with friends and stuff Right. Yeah. I see. I think that you'd have almost have to have like a group to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. But you soloed a whole 24 hour stream. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever tried playing in a lead chess marathon with these? I mean, with these stamina skills, I feel like you. Oh, just... No, I, I haven't. I think maybe it is different when I'm competing versus when I'm streaming, because when I'm streaming, like I'm playing chess, but it's not always the most competitive chess. Like right. I might be just messing around or not too concerned with the results. I think, you know, 24 hours of, like, serious chess. Huh. I don't know. I should, I should try one. I should probably try a marathon and maybe stream it. I mean, if you can go 24 hours solo on a stream with, like, no, no rest, I feel like you would, be, you would have a big advantage going into one of those, one mm, of those uh, marathon events. You've seen them, right? Like the spring marathon, the winter marathon on Lee Chess? Absolutely. I'll play for like a few hours at a time, but then I kind of run out of steam and I'm like, okay, I don't think I can keep going. Ah, uh, I'll definitely try one. I'd be curious. I'd be very curious to see how you can do Because if you can do a 24-hour stream, I think you could nail one of those. What, what are some other um, things in terms, of, in terms of streaming that you've enjoyed that have happened either to you or on your stream live? Um, what, tell, tell us, uh, tell us a bit about like what goes on. If, if, if I'm an audience member and I want to join an epiphany stream, what, what am I getting myself into? 
Uh, so I do all sorts of things. Sometimes I'll, I'll run tournaments and play with the community. Sometimes I'll play with my viewers. Sometimes I'll give a lesson. I'll teach on an opening or a topic. Sometimes I'll be showing some of my games. Sometimes I'll be hanging out with my friends. We'll be, you know, playing on a team account. Sometimes I'll do non-chess stuff even. Like I'll play the piano or even I've, you know, done video games. I've done Among Us. So really a variety <laughs> of things. Have you done Among Us with chess players? Oh, yes. I mean, the Among Us streams would attract primarily chess players from my community back when it was all the rage i kind of feel like chess players would be either really excellent or really terrible among us players <laughs> I <was> terrible <laughs> i was terrible <laughs> i i couldn't lie so that was it was an inability to bluff that was the issue yep what, what well, about among other things also the inability to notice when other people were bluffing it was just it was and the inability to do a whole tasks is like a, a whole package really <laughs> some of those tasks like I, I played and i just could not figure out exactly what i was supposed to do you know you ever get the card swipe on the first try i don't think so i don't think i've ever <laughs> once gotten it on the first try <laughs> oh i would always get stuck on that and then it, you'd be sitting there seeing like the slow down message and you're thinking mm -hmm. i'm gonna get killed i'm gonna ki just swipe the card yep <laughs> oh yeah yeah, I feel like chess players, they're like super analytical, you know, obviously, right? I mean, that's sort of an important trait. So, but you're right. I mean, among us, it's not just, it's not just analysis. There's also like a lying element, right? Mm-hmm. So like chess players who are good at poker would probably be excellent. Like Jen Shahad, she's like an excellent poker player. I bet she would crush it at Among Us. Yeah, I don't play poker. I don't even know how. <laughs> I, I don't know if it has too many similarities to Among Us, but... Yeah, yeah. When you review your games, I'm curious. So you said you review, like, you, do you do your actual, like, over-the-board tournament games that you look at? Yeah, sometimes. What's your um, technique or method? Uh, I'm, I'm very interested in this because I, I also have a background in coaching, and I know a lot of our listeners, of course, are also adult improvers who are trying to get better. So, like, what's your technique or method for um, critically breaking down or analyzing your own game uh, after the fact? I mean, of course, one of the things I do is I just I take a line that I considered during the game but mm -hmm. didn't play and analyze it out and you know see if it was better or worse. Um, and I pay a lot of attention to the openings. Like, did I deviate from my theory? Because that's that's oftentimes where things go wrong. Is yeah, I'll, I'll deviate from my theory or I think I was following it when I actually wasn't. Um, and of course, you know, I'll turn on the engine from time to time and see, especially what the correct plans are, because I think that's something I could work on too. Like during the game, sometimes I'm not sure what to do, what the correct plan is, of course. And then mm -hmm. later I'll look at it and, you know, the computer will tell me, oh, well, you're supposed to arrange your pieces like so. And then I'll, I'll remember that. Yeah, that's interesting because... Um I was just looking at a game the other day, and I think it was like Pankratov versus Andraken, maybe. And um, there was this like defensive move that Pankratov allowed, and I was like, wait a minute, every time I've studied this opening, you're not supposed to allow that move. <laughs> and yet here's this 2600 allowing it, and then winning the game against this 2720 in like 30 moves. So like, it's what did I do wrong? Puzzling. It's always puzzling when top players violate things you think you know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, you, you think you've learned this, and then they do something, like, they do the ex literally the exact opposite, and you're just like, hold on, <laughs> wait a second. What? What did I miss? <laughs> mm -hmm. So when, when you're using the engine, I'm curious, because this is a question I get a lot from students or, or, or kids or adult improvers, whoever it may be, and I actually, I, I, I don't have, like, what I consider to be a thoroughly satisfying answer. So I'm curious to hear your, your, your take on it. What's the best way to get the most out of using an engine to help you go through a game? I think it's best if you look at the game once without the engine and just do the analysis yourself, right? Just calculate the lines and, you know, if you can analyze with your opponent or, you know, with strong players, you know, all the better. 
And then later, I think one of the, the main benefits of using an engine is to find discrepancies in evaluation, which is another thing mm-hmm. I've had trouble with. There's plenty of times I, during the game, I think that I have some advantage. And then it takes the engine really to tell me that, no, you're actually worse here. Um, that helps me correct that because, you know, I start to notice patterns in which positions I think I'm better in when that's actually not the case. I'm curious, have you noticed a trend, and maybe maybe yes, maybe no, um, are there certain, when, when there's a discrepancy like, like you just described, is it because of like a tactical reason or is it because of maybe something more subtle? Maybe it's just that I tend to overestimate my own position mm-hmm. in general because okay. of course I'm looking at my plans. I see all the things I can do. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can get my knight into the square. I can pawn store. I can do all this stuff. And I, I know it's a weakness of mine. I don't give that same care and consideration to what my opponent can do. Oh, yeah. So naturally, mm-hmm. I'm looking at it from a biased perspective where I'm seeing my plans and how the position can improve in my favor without you know, consciously recognizing that my opponent has just as much potential, if not more. That's, I think that's like really excellent insight because noticing your opponent's play, right, is such a critical, a critical step to improvement um, first. But then also, um, you know, just being able to almost unbias yourself in a way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, the, great, the great help of a machine, I guess, is, is there's, the machine has no bias, right? Like it doesn't care. It's just going to evaluate. Mm-hmm. I find in my own games, I find that often when I'm no- when I when I get to a position and I notice a major discrepancy, I'm just like missing a tactic. So maybe I need to do more woodpecker. <laughs> like maybe <laughs> that's my problem. Is I just need to like be able to spot those uh, you know those beneath the surface tactics, if you will. I mean, I miss tactics too plenty, but probably compared to my rating, tactics are what I'm best at. It's the positional stuff that I have more difficulty with. Yeah. Do you think, uh, I'm, I'm really curious, I, I always, I love to ask all the strong players who I bring on the show, I love to ask them this question. Um, what, what makes like a strong bullet and blitz player? You said you really like the shorter time controls. Do you mm-hmm. think it's tactics? Do you think it's something else? Like what makes a strong bullet and blitz player? I mean, for bullet, I feel like um, one of my best strengths is the ability to anticipate my opponent's moves. Like, I'm good with the, the pre-moves, but also predicting where my opponent's going to go. And also, I'm probably just physically fast with a mouse. I think that's that's the big part of it. Mouse skills? Like fast, yeah, fast reflexes. And, and I guess over the board, too. Um, yeah, it, it's bullet is largely about being able to anticipate what your opponent's doing. Mm-hmm. And... I, uh, in, in my channel, I'm known as a, a dirty flagger. It's sort of a running joke <laughs> that I will run my opponents out of time. I, I could be dead lost. I could be holding on for dear life with one pawn, and I will still run my opponent out of time. I mean, it, it's something, it's a slightly self-deprecating joke, because sometimes I will play, like, absolute garbage and then run my opponent out of time. So, you all's, know, it's probably fair and love war and bullet chess. <laughs> So, so good flagging skills, that's a big part of it. You know, I think, like, that's totally fair game. It's bullet, right? Like, oh, absolutely. Flagging is no, like... I mean, I don't feel bad about it in <laughs> <Yeah>. the slightest. <laughs> I will flag you and not feel bad about it. Um, uh, yeah, I think, I think that there's, there's, a, there's just a portion of the community who thinks that, like, flagging in a dead loss position is, like, not cool. But I'm, I'm totally on team flag. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned like mouse skills. So now I got to ask you like about your setup. We got to talk some shop. So like what, what's your, what's your, you know, what's your gear? Are you using wireless, wired? Um, I, I've heard a rumor. I don't know if this is true, but I've heard a rumor that a certain very well-known, very good Blitz player uses an iPad or uh, for bullet. What? Yeah. I, so I'm curious, what do you, what, you know, What's your setup? How do you? How are you so fast with the mouse? What do you do? Um, I just have a, a wireless Logitech mouse. I can't tell you the the model off the top of my head. <laughs> I asked a previous uh, guest, and he was like, "Oh, I got this, this, this." Yeah, no, <laughs> some people I, really love their gaming mouses. 
Um, but yeah, it's a, it's just a wireless mouse. And I don't know if there's anything really special about my setup. Have you ever played Bullet on like a like a like an iPad or an iPhone or a touchpad? Oh, I used to play on my phone all the time. Uh, I used to prefer playing on my phone mm -hmm. for Bullet, but you know, after I started streaming, I just I switched away from that, and then I realized I probably am faster on my computer. Yeah, I I think that's true. I think it's just for whatever reason, maybe it's you know the the board is bigger, so like you have more room for error, you know, when you're clicking and dragging. But I just think it's really hard to play on like an iPad or phone. In my in my humble opinion. Hmm. I mean, the the advantage is the screen's really small, so it's just less dragging time. That's true. You can make like cross board moves. So that's yeah. another technique, right? Do you use that technique where you just like when you're really low on time, you'll just move a piece that's like one square at a time? <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll just like run my king around, you know. <laughs> Until yeah, yeah. I'll do that a lot. I'll just do like the, I'm just going to move my queen like one square at a time slowly inching closer to wherever I'm headed <laughs> instead of going there in one turn. Yeah. So Epiphany, you've had um, something really interesting happen to you on your stream this year. Um, somebody pretty famous stopped by. Could you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? It was actually about a year ago, last October. Okay. Um, so I was just having a pretty normal stream, just playing some chess, vibing, and then all of a sudden, Ludwig shows up in the chat and gifts over 50 subs. And I was absolutely stunned. I'm like, is this the real Ludwig? <laughs> How did he find me? How does he know me? What is he doing here? I was freaking out. Like, Ludwig. Right. And, you know, the reason he gifted all those subs was that I had a goal where if I reached a hundred subs, I would do one of the aforementioned 24 hour streams. Oh, wow. Okay. So a couple days later, he then comes out with a video called donating to small streamers. And on the thumbnail, it's my face. <laughs> and I was like totally freaking out. And then when I went to stream later, they were like, all these new people in my chat. Oh my god, I found you from Ludwig. Like, things just exploded. It was crazy. And, you know, that definitely helped my long-term growth. But, like, it was also just, like, holy cow, like, I'm in a, a Ludwig video. <laughs> I think that's one of the really cool things about streaming, and that's one of the reasons I was so interested in doing this this season, is it really is, it's a community, you know? Oh, it's, absolutely. Is that one of the things that sort of drew you to it? Yes. So I am, you know, very lucky to have a community of supportive people. And I, I've just, yeah, I've gotten so fortunate with the, the kindness everyone's shown on Twitch. Um, both, you know, other streamers and also my my viewers and the friends that I had, you know, before streaming, like, it's just a, a wonderful place, and I feel very at home when I stream talking to these people I know or even talking to them on Discord when I'm not live. Um, I, just, I just really enjoy being connected to the community, and that's largely why I stream. You know, I'm thinking, hey, I want to I talk to these people. I want to see how my regular viewers are doing, and so I'll go live. Yeah, you can't, you can't see me, but I'm nodding my head. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, You're now, I think, my seventh streamer that I've interviewed this season. And uh, every one of them has, has talked about the community and how supportive it is and how nice it is. I wonder, I wonder what you think. Um, is there a place for this in competitive over-the-board chess? And... You know, because right now it's it's very it's a very cutthroat individualistic scene, sort of the competitive OTB scene. And I wonder, is there a place for something like this? And how does it get there? What do you think? Um, what do you mean? Like a yes, I, I'm sorry. The the literature. I shouldn't say like this. That's very very ambiguous. That's the first thing I learned in like Comp 101. <laughs> um, is there is there a place for there to be? more of a community aspect, more supportive, you know, more collaborative instead of competitive. 
See, I feel like one of the tough things about OTB chess is, well, especially recently, people prepare for each other so deeply. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go to these tournaments and people look each other up before the rounds and search each other's openings. And I think this definitely fosters an extreme sense of competition that you, know, you don't want to divulge too much to the people that you might get paired against later. Um, that said, I think that, you know, whenever I go to an overboard tournament, I feel this sense of camaraderie with other players and I'm definitely friendly with everyone. So I don't think that that sense of community is really lacking from mm -hmm. over the board. I just think it's, it's much, much more competitive for that reason. It's only become more so because of the internet. Cause you know, when we were kids, we would just exchange usernames haphazardly and I think nowadays people prepare much more for their opponents and there's more tools to do so and it's it's just it's a little bit different now than it was even like 15 years ago yeah like exchanging your username these days might might <laughs> might give the opponent more than you wanted to right oh yeah for sure do you, I'm curious, do you play, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want because it might, it might uh, impact your, your preparation and, and that sort of thing, but do you play your openings on stream like something that you would play in a tournament or do you just sort of try to throw people off the trail? I mean, for the most part, like my openings are my openings and, mm. you know, I, I even worried about this myself and, you know, I've had friends tell me that people aren't going to be watching my stream to prepare for me, that that's sort of a, a different thing. You know, if people are going to research me, if they they see me in the pairing and want to do 10 minutes of prep before the round, they're not going to watch my VODs, you know, they're going to go, <laughs> like, oh, right. that's, yeah. that's not efficient. So I don't Good think point. if I'm playing these games on my account, like, it doesn't really matter if it's recorded or not on stream. Yeah, that makes sense. That that makes sense. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I know some people who just like absolutely refuse to play anything in their real repertoire online. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm always curious, you know, how do you, I guess maybe you can have like a shadow account or something, but how do you improve if you're not playing your repertoire, right? Like, don't you have to practice and, and get the games in? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you just have to, you have to practice it. <laughs> and right. I mean, there's always that risk, but... What can you do about it? So what are your what are your plans for, um, you know, upcoming? I know you said you've been streaming uh, almost every day. Um, you've been really uh, getting out there and, and engaging a lot. Do you have any plans for uh, upcoming things or events you want to do in terms of your stream or even just over the board? Hmm. Um, as far as upcoming stream events, I'm definitely planning the near future to do some opening classes on on openings that I play or have played things like the the scotch game the the Peart's defense etc okay very um, cool sometimes yeah I, I tend to, to host these uh these opening classes the new thing I've been trying out and is this just anybody can hop on hop on your channel and, and watch it yeah absolutely very cool. That's awesome. Um, so um, I love the Scotch game, by the way. I, I just, I think it's so rich, lots of ideas. Um, where does your, so your channel name again, could you remind us, is it, is it still Mary Chess? Is that right? Um, Mari Chess. Mari Chess. M-A-R-I Chess. Sorry, I, I, I mispronounced it. Where does that come from? Ah, so um, my mom is Japanese mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and my middle name is Mary. So her side of the family would call me Mari, which is the Japanese form of Mary. Like, it's also a, an established Japanese name, but okay. they, they, they nicknamed me Mari. And so I just go by that on the internet sometimes. And, you know, it, it flows well. Like, Mari-chan, it's like the chan is a, a like, a, I guess, diminutive sort of cute ending for it in Japanese. So, you know, they'd call me Mari-chan. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like Mari chess flows well with that. Yeah, just kind of, it, it's almost like uh, the, the same syllabic content. That's, that's really cool. That's awesome. Well, thanks. <laughs> I, like, I like knowing sort of the, the I guess, origin of, of usernames. I find there's always like a, a cool or unique story behind them. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Epiphany, one, one other thing that I really love to ask streamers, and I'd, I'd love to get your take on this. Um, what advice or um, words of wisdom would you have for somebody who wants to get started in streaming? You know, maybe they've seen some of your streams. Oh man, that's really cool. I'd like to maybe do that myself. Um, what would you say to them? Um, I would say, first off, start out with some decent equipment. <laughs> don't, <laughs> not don't not start the overheating. Out with no, equipment. no, no, no. <laughs> the lag. The lag was awful. Did it impact like your bullet games and blitz games? Oh, like, yes. Really? No, people are Ooh. constantly saying I can't see the moves in real time. It's, it's a miracle that people watched my stream in those days. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, okay, so I good equipment, say, number one. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's good. Mm hmm talk to the chat like that's a that's a huge thing um you know that helps so much in cultivating a community if somebody comes in say hi talk to them engage them in conversation and you know i'm at the point where like i'm, I'm still small enough that i have the, the time to read and acknowledge like just about every message and you know i think that's it's really nice when people go to a stream and they feel they feel heard yeah. They can come in, they can become part of the community, they can ask the streamer a question and get an answer. And I feel like that's uh, that just makes streaming so much more enjoyable too. Because I'm not just, I mean, I try to produce content, but I generally feel like the vibe of my stream at least is more, you know, I'm just hanging out with these people. Like I'm, I'm chilling with my community. We're doing chess stuff. Sometimes it's more interactive. Sometimes I'm, I'm putting on a, a lesson or a show, but generally like we're all here together. We're all like one big community. So I would definitely say, you know, talk to the chat, acknowledge everyone. And you know, yeah, just make them feel like part of something. Do you think, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, because recently streaming, uh, streaming platforms, you know, Twitch, YouTube, etc., um, eSports, gaming has really grown. I mean, exponential growth in terms of engagement and also, you know, viewers. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that it is, what do you think it is that, that has made it so popular? Do you think it's that community aspect, that interactive element, or, or what do you think? Um, well, if you're talking about, like, you know, the past year and a half, I mean, yeah. definitely it's COVID-related. But then I think people are sticking around because they realize that you don't necessarily have to be in person to, to have that sense of community. Uh, you can you can find that over the Internet. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's what why people are still around, even though life is, east, you know, somewhat returning to normal. Um and as for chess specifically, you know, there was, there was Queen's Gambit. <laughs> right, that, yes. That helped so much. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like the, the pandemic has given all of us introverts just a great excuse to just stay home even more. <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? I yeah. got a community right here. I can go talk to my friends yeah. and play chess. Come on. Yeah, exactly. What, how did you feel about the Queen's Gambit? Were you, I, 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 I have to say I was a huge fan, but it's okay. Oh, it won't too. hurt my feelings if you weren't. No, me too. I, uh, I watched it with my family, and it was, it was wonderful. Like, it's just like the perfect length. And the chess in it was super accurate, which impressed me, because I'm not used to that level of accuracy from chess-related shows and movies. I heard that Kasparov himself was an advisor on the show. Yes, he was. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm so glad, you know, a lot of times when you see a chess show, well, I shouldn't say a lot of times, I, I hate to generalize, but in the past, I have seen several chess shows where it's just almost unwatchable because the chess itself is so unbelievable, you know? It's like that would never happen. The board isn't even set up correctly. The players wouldn't interact that way, you know? Um, it's just sort of like from A to Z, it's, it feels like a very non-real encounter. And that was not the case in Queen's Gambit, I thought. Yeah, I agree completely. Queen's Gambit was just very, very well produced. You said it was um, perfect length, but I'm curious, are you rooting for a season two? Or do you just feel like, no, it ended well, let's leave it alone? Yeah, I think, I mean, I would like to watch more, like if, you know, if the content were that same quality, but I just don't think there's anywhere to go from here that could, 
Yeah. I, I really wouldn't want to ruin the original story. It ended perfectly. And as much as I'd like to watch more, I think it really should end here. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, these days also, it it feels like I, I, I just love to bend shows on, on like pretty much every platform. <laughs> it feels like sometimes just writers aren't sure how to end a show, you know. But I think they I think they got it right with Queen's Gambit. I really do. I agree. No, that final scene was was excellent. Well, Epiphany, I, I cannot say thank you enough for, for coming on and sitting down and having a chat with me. Um, I want to make sure that all of our listeners can catch up with you and watch your stream. So I'm just going to rehash it again. It's twitch.tv slash marichess, M-A-R-I-C-H-E-S-S. Um, yes. Is there anywhere else they can catch up with you? YouTube, socials, anything like that that you want to share? Um. I, I have a, a YouTube. Uh, I just play the piano on this YouTube. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I compose. Um, oh, cool. And it's just a YouTube slash, I guess, C slash Epiphany Peters. Okay, great. And that's E P I P H A N Y Peters. P E T. Yeah, it's my name. Great. We'll drop all this in the show notes too so people can catch up with you. I'm curious, have you seen the chess player pianist who streams sometimes? I have. Are you talking about a video game pianist? That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. no, I, I love his content. It's amazing. He's a way better piano player than I. <laughs> I just I just wonder, like, I, I have a hard time just playing the chess part. You know, I just can't imagine trying to, like, play piano. It's almost like a stream of consciousness thing, you know? He's playing chess, and, like, with the other hand, he's playing, like, something beautiful on the piano, and it's, it's thoroughly oh, impressive. it's incredible. Yeah. So are we going to see that in the future on your streams? I, I hope <laughs> I, I don't have the technical skill, at least not right now. Like, I'm decent, but, you know, I'm nowhere near that level. So, yeah, I focus more on composing than playing dif difficult pieces, I guess. So, composure in terms of music, I'm curious, are chess compositions in your future? I actually already made one. Um, I composed a, a short little piece called uh, Gioco Piano. It's a, it's a really? Fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Can we can we get that in the show notes too, so we can have people go check it out? Oh, sure. Yeah, I uh, I wrote the song about the opening. Okay. Um, and it's it's a very it's a very quiet song. I'd love to hear this. This is so cool. All right, this is great. Well, we'll make sure that we get that out there in the show notes so everybody can check it out. Um, Epiphany, this has been so much fun. I can't thank you enough, and I really look forward to watching more of your streams. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was it was my pleasure to, to be on the podcast. Of course, of course. Um, okay, so for the Chess Underground, uh, this is your host, uh, Pete Karianis. Um, that was Epiphany Peters. Uh, we will see you all next month, November 2021. Signing off. From a distance. Tactical struggle. Hard to define. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for our podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karianis.